Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, uh, your podcast for everything smart cities, action, investment, and outcomes. Uh, my name is Adam Beck. I'm the host of the Chronicles, but my day job, of course, Executive Director of the Smart Cities Council for the Australia and New Zealand region. Welcoming you to episode 53 of the Chronicles, uh, second last one for 2019. And we are going to talk all things privacy on this session. And joining me is Nicole Stevenson from Grand Up Consulting. Nicole, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Adam. I'm delighted to be here. So um, I could not think of anything more delightful than to talk about uh, privacy at the end of a year. Uh, I appreciate you joining us. But before we jump into our conversation, can you give us a sense of who you are and what you do? Well, I am a privacy expert and I have my own consultancy that's based in the Brisbane area. And I tend to focus a lot on smart cities and outcomes with smart cities or cities generally when it comes to their privacy practices. I think this is one of those areas that's traditionally a gap in in most systems of government, not just in Australia, but around the world. So I do tend to focus there. I also have a great deal of volunteer output that's associated with um, my job as a privacy expert because I think it's really important to give back, not just to the industry that I'm in, but to, um, I guess, to perform that educational role that it's just simply one of those things. It's a bit awkward to, um, to ask to be paid to provide information that everybody needs in order to live their lives better and to do their jobs better. So uh, a role that I have is with the Internet of Things Security Institute as their executive director for privacy and data protection. And we put out all sorts of information under Creative Commons around cybersecurity and privacy and how to protect our cities and critical infrastructure. Nicole, uh, just building on that, how does one get into the privacy game? I mean, did you did you leave school and went, I want to be a privacy consultant? How did you how did you sort of evolve into uh, what you do now? So you, you know what? What it was actually it was actually <laughs> just yes. about as geeky. Yeah, it was just about as geeky as that. It it, it was. I when I left university um, in 1998, my first role ever was with a privacy regulator. So I, I went in on a, a short-term contract with a privacy regulator and started working on um, a privacy impact assessment template of all things. And I was really quite interested and hooked because it was something that I'd, I'd not seen done before in terms of how public policy was being managed. And I thought that it was really consultative and um, really kind of a fresh change from what I was used to seeing around the traps of government during the day. Um, also, then privacy was still fairly new in a number of parts of the world. So there was a lot to learn. There's still a lot to learn. But, but back then, particularly, so much was evolving and so much was being developed that, you know, it just, it really piqued my interest and kept my interest. And every single role that I've had since with the exception of um, a short-term departure over into an ombudsman role where I was dealing with um, uh, creating a complaints management program. But again, that, that sort of thing is still very beautifully aligned with privacy um, and the expectations of our community. So 
I mean, so what did you say? 98, did you? you, you <laughs> yeah. Said, oh, I've just so, dated so, myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, so we're, we're talking, um, 20 years. Oh my God. What was the, when that was like the internet was just being mm-hmm. a light bulb moment in, in Boston yeah. or MIT or somewhere. So yeah, yeah, so, no, this is really embarrassing, like, right? There wasn't even, <laughs> there wasn't even Facebook yet. We're all so obsessed wow. with social media nowadays. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Facebook wasn't yet a thing. Uh, email was being used mainly to communicate between professors and students in a university context mm. and was just starting to make its way into, say, the, the public service mainstream in terms of a communication tool. But then it was still things were done in, in hard copy letters, really in, in the analog world. The biggest digital thing that was happening was faxing. Wow. <laughs> right? So... So the world has really changed since I started in privacy. And I, I wonder sometimes if that has what has kept my interest so high for so long. Well, I, I mean, fast forward to today, we have the internet, we have the internet of things. We have this, um, this, this idea that data is the new oil. I mean, it would be an understatement to sort of say that there has been a tectonic shift in kind of your privacy world no Mm. yes no not an understatement at all I think Mm. and I think particularly oh gosh honestly even in the last five years Mm. the changes to how we conduct business how we connect socially how um, how we transact, right? The the digital economy is well and truly thriving now, and that has been a massive change in my lifetime. Never mind within my career. So, what we're going to try and do with this discussion is is focusing on the privacy impact assessment idea, mm-hmm. and really try and you know unpack that. In, in very succinct and clear terms, but let's make sure for our listeners, let's make sure that we just calibrate our, our mindset here around privacy. Can you start by giving us the, uh, the shorthand version of what is privacy? Why is it relevant to cities? Yeah, look, I think that that's the perfect starting place because it doesn't really do anyone any favors if we're not on the same page about what we're talking about. So, Privacy, it's actually one of those topics that is founded in our civil liberties. So it's got these, um, these civil libertarian roots that doesn't always jive with what, what people think should be regulated by government, right? So privacy is um, a basic right or a freedom. And we often hear about it, um, or certainly historically it was expressed as things like the right to be let alone or the right to be free from intrusion into my personal life or your personal life. And I found when I, when I talk to people about privacy, it's a bit tricky to establish what it means for us each individually and as a society. And sometimes it's useful to break it down into some smaller parts. So uh, for example, if I'm talking about the privacy of my home or the space I occupy or the car that I drive, that can elicit, um, quite a visceral personal reaction from somebody, right? They think, yeah, yeah, I get it. I, you know, there, there is an element of privacy associated with the territory that, that I'm in. Um, it's mine. That's my space. When I go into my home and I shut my door and I shut my curtains, I have this 
view that I shouldn't be observed in that context. Um, another area of privacy is our bodily privacy. So that speaks to things like what's in my body, my blood or my DNA. It could speak to things like my, my physical health or, or even my mental health, my thoughts and my feelings. Um, so in the, in the vein of what we were talking about just before around, you know, how the world has changed communications wise, well, communications privacy is another one of those areas that we can talk about to kind of unpack it a bit. Um, that's things like the methods that I might choose to communicate by and what I choose to communicate and to whom I choose to communicate, right? So that's a fairly, that's a fairly packed topic. That's things like, you know, am I, am I thinking about sending my grocery list home to my husband using my work email? Or am I um, going to make a doctor's appointment about a sensitive matter, um, you know, over, over, again, work email is one of those examples that always elicits communications privacy questions. And finally, and I think the most important thing is, is privacy that relates to information or our information. So things like my identity and what's known about me in a particular context or just generally. Now, I think there's a real challenge with defining privacy almost beyond that because, and especially in the context of, of what we're talking about today, right? The proliferation of digital technologies and social connectedness and e-commerce and e-government. Um, this the meaning of privacy is going to differ across cultures and our social groups and our communities and even just between you and I, Adam, we will have differing views of where privacy sits for us or what mm. our threshold is. And I think that some of that comes down to perhaps how we have operated in our life to date or perhaps when we were born or uh, where, where our values are, it is one of those things that's quite hard to quantify. So, uh, for example, a lot of people feel that they have a right to be free from government surveillance, right? That is a topic that, that elicits quite a visceral reaction from people when you talk mm. about privacy. And yet, those same people would probably feel quite comfortable being observed in a different circumstance where they think they might have a degree of choice or control. So for example, everybody's being observed every day by Google, right? So when we, when we choose to use, say, a connected digital assistant in our home, there's a level of surveillance and observation there, but we're actively opting in for that. Yeah. So the threshold is going to be different for everybody depending on the context. And that's what makes privacy so interesting, particularly in terms of our privacy laws, right? Because privacy laws take these concepts that we were just talking about in terms of our, our freedoms and our civil liberties, and they make them meaningful in practice in terms of what government can do or organizations can do with our personal information, right? The privacy law establishes definitions and rules and principles and in Australia, we have um, the Federal Privacy Act 1988 is the most well-known privacy law, but we also have different privacy laws at the state and territory level. So, for example, you know, here in Queensland, where I live, we have the Information Privacy Act of 2009, and that regulates what government does with personal information. 
So, and I've talked about personal information a couple of times now, and I, I'm probably paraphrasing a bit because definitions are always going to differ slightly depending on where you are. But personal information is information that identifies a person or could easily lead to them being identified. And privacy law it sets the rules around what can happen to personal information in a particular context. But, but, but those, just to be clear, those laws, Nicole, are, are, are relevant and yeah. apply to what government does with data, oh, yes. not necessarily oh, yes. the private sector? And the private sector. And, so, the, and the private sector. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have kind of a patchwork uh, patchwork quilt arrangement for privacy here in Australia, where we have the Federal Privacy Act of 1988, which regulates particular entities that um, that are covered under that act. So that that would be the majority of your private sector companies or corporates, mm -hmm. uh, as well as Australian government entities. And then you have the the states and territories, most of which all have their own privacy laws. And those privacy laws regulate what happens in the public sector in those states and territories. Mm. So those laws will cover things like what the government agencies can do, what publicly funded schools do, uh, even what local governments do. Mm. So, and this I think is the, the link to our cities that, you know, we've been in a roundabout way coming to. Now with the exception of cities in Western Australia and South Australia, where there are no formal privacy laws in those states yet, but where they do have um, administrative arrangements or a series of principles there that, that do deal with privacy. But with the exception of those cities in those two states, all Australian cities are required to comply with the privacy law for their jurisdiction. Now, this means in practice that our cities need to be fully across privacy. They need to be thinking about things like the transparency of their personal information handling practices, the requirements on them around, and the limits on collecting, using, and disclosing personal information, how personal information is stored and secured, how they allow for access to and correction of a person's own personal information, and really importantly, how can they allow for a person to complain if they feel the city has treated their personal information in a way that contravenes the privacy law in their state. So I hear this term privacy impact assessment a lot more these days. Mm -hmm. um, what is that and how does that align with, connect with, or have a relationship with either those state and territory based regulations or, or is it more of a voluntary thing i mean is is our state and territory based law enough uh, or or not enough that we then need to supplement it with these other practices like privacy impact assessment can you tell us how they nest together or, or sure. not sure okay so a privacy impact assessment the sort of the i guess the shorthand for explaining what a privacy impact assessment is that it's a due diligence exercise and it allows you very quickly to unpack whether a thing that you're going to do that involves personal information, and that thing could be implementing a new technology, buying an off-the-shelf piece of software, um, moving over to a cloud service provision environment, a variety of things that could involve personal information, particularly, say, in a city's context. Now, a privacy impact assessment helps you to really quickly unpack 
whether that thing involving personal information um, can be done or has impacts that are related to um, the handling of that personal information in accordance with the law. In addition, privacy impact assessments tell us a lot about whether or not what we're going to do might not be within the reasonable expectation of the community that we serve. So under, under our privacy laws in our, in our states and federally, there are a series of privacy principles and those principles really clearly spell out things like how we can and should collect personal information you know, and what the limits should be around that. And let, if we take collection of personal information, just as our example for a second, a privacy impact assessment is going to ask us to comment on how do we collect personal information? What kind of personal information are we collecting? Why are we collecting it? You know, what's the purpose for having it in the first place? And does that purpose accord with what the community would expect from us? So, uh, say I was doing a privacy impact assessment for free public Wi-Fi in a city and keeping collection principles in mind again. If on the, the form that people go to to um, sign up for the free public Wi-Fi, you know, they come to my website and they fill out a quick form so that they can log on. If I'm asking them for types of personal information that are potentially irrelevant or excessive for the purpose, I am not going to be making that collection in accordance with the privacy law. That could be things like, hey, look, if as a city, I need to know the various sort of demographics of who's using my Wi-Fi and when, do I need people's birth dates or is an age range sufficient? And that's the kind of question that a privacy impact assessment um, gets us to look at and makes us unpack in terms of risk. So, so the privacy impact assessment, as you say, is, is a method and approach of due diligence. Mm -hmm. um, I've been hanging around smart cities for sort of three, three and a half years now. Mm -hmm. um, very rarely did I even hear that concept or word sort of muttered, you know, 2016, yeah. 2017, even 2018. Yeah. It, it's only, you know, I'd say like the last 10 months where I've, really started to see it pop up more and more. I mean, mm -hmm. what does this, and I'm just, let's just talk about Australia for the moment. Mm. So, so what, what is happening? Is this just a, a, a nice to have? We, we haven't known about this before, or maybe I'm just talking to the wrong people and everyone's doing it and I'm just not seeing it. What, what's, what's the assessment of the state of the nation here with respect right. to embracing the idea of conducting privacy impact assessments because even just with our federal government's smart cities and suburbs program, I mean, we went from almost zero to a hundred miles an hour in deploying sensors and IOT and gathering data and putting in place platforms in the blink of an eye all over the nation. Yeah. And look, privacy impact assessments are one of those things that um, are, they're not new. I mean, remember I was just saying to you before that when I started in privacy, I was looking at a privacy impact assessment template for a regulator. That's, mm. that's you know, 1998, 1999, right? Mm. So privacy impact assessments have been around 
for quite a while as a, a due diligence exercise. What they haven't been though is really part of the mainstream thinking when we are um, engaging in the new and the shiny and the exciting when it comes to our cities. And um, I understand why, right? Mm, mm. Oftentimes in a, in a city's context, a city will, um, will research what it would like to do, uh, maybe what problem that it wants to solve. They'll research the technology that's best suited to solving that problem. They'll go out and either seek funding or dip into their own coffers for the money for that technology. They'll buy and deploy the technology to solve their problem. That is not addressing the privacy issue, though. And I think that's because the cities aren't, haven't really been alive to privacy as an issue. At best, maybe it's been um, you know, kind of a low-level compliance issue as opposed to something that they need to think of in order to continue to foster community trust and to enhance their, their position um, in that respect. Now, you look at what, what's happening, say, in the federal government space, and, and your comment there is interesting to me because the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner has um, a, a code that's, that, all, um, that all agencies within the public service are required to abide by. And that, that requires them to, you know, at that federal level, implement a minimum level of privacy best practice across the board, no matter what. And privacy impact assessments are a part of that. So it's really, it's very, very interesting to me that that kind of notion and that kind of approach hasn't percolated down necessarily into what we do at the, say the state-based local government level. Uh, it is in some ways a, um, a frustrating thing for me that the opportunity for designing a level of privacy compliance into your project management approaches is just simply not done, but it needs to be. So, um, and I digress. I know I've, you know, probably I'm, I bang the drum very loud on this topic. And so, um, it, back to your question around the state of the nation, I would say privacy impact assessments are not being done, uh, as often as they should be, if at all, in a city's context. I think that this is a very, very big gap area for our cities because they are required to comply with privacy law. And if they're not undertaking these assessments before they are doing things, whatever those things are with personal information, and there is a potential risk to the community, then they're letting themselves down in terms of compliance, but they're also letting their, city, their citizens down. So, so let me just step back for a moment. I always like to look at th things through a marketplace lens, you know, mm -hmm. supply and demand. So, so privacy impact assessment, um, been around for a long time. Um, it's voluntary. It's, it's a great due diligence step. We're all very familiar with due diligence. We do that all day, every day with other sectors and other items and other procurement processes. So, I, I don't want to. I don't want to ask the question, who's at blame here? Because I think you rightly say that this is new and it's evolving. But um, I, I imagine that, and you know, let me be blunt. You know, there's plenty 
of technology companies that have been around for, for decades and decades and decades. And I would assume that they're very familiar, you know, manufacturers and IoT devices, they would be very familiar with, um, with, with privacy. Um, so you can always drive change, of course, by demand. You know, the city demands a, a privacy impact mm-hmm. assessment as part of a tender process. But equally, on the supply side, solution providers and vendors could show leadership and, and voluntarily undertake and offer privacy impact assessment as a part of a solution. C- can you share with me some thoughts about that the market dynamics here and, and how yeah. might privacy impact have the best opportunity to thrive from, from that supply and demand side, if that makes sense? Right. So I think in terms of, you know, market appetite for something like a privacy impact assessment, you can look at it in terms of risk. The risk of not doing a privacy impact assessment means that there could be a level of non-compliance. There's highly likely to be a level of non-compliance with the privacy law in the jurisdiction that you're working in. Now, whether that's non-compliance with the actual letter of the law or non-compliance with community expectations that are associated with that law, um, both could potentially lead to either something like a privacy breach or a high level of um, negative publicity, right? So if as a city, if you are going to implement Oh, look, say if you're going to implement automatic number plate recognition in your city-run city car parking spaces, that has the potential to tweak the interest of the community in terms of what that might mean for their personal privacy, right? If you do a privacy impact assessment, which is in itself an, an, an exercise in transparency, right, because you're talking about how you are going to collect, use, and disclose, and store and secure personal information in that context for its life cycle. What the purposes are, what the problems are that you're solving, what risks you understand there are, and how you're going to mitigate them for the community. If you put all that out there up front, that's likely to take the sting out of the activity from the community's perspective. If you don't put all that out there up front, I think that's likely to generate a privacy complaint. And if the community doesn't know that they can make a privacy complaint to you directly and have you deal with it, you may find yourself getting some negative publicity in the media, right? So in terms of a market driver, I think that's a really big one. The other one is that not doing a privacy impact assessment could lead you to have a damage, a level of damage to your reputation uh, or uh, some loss to your credibility. Right? So perhaps your lack of transparency around doing something that might cause the public some concern, maybe that can be seen uh, in the community and through the community's eyes as behaving in an untrustworthy manner. And that's not a good look for our cities, right? Uh, and in terms of damaging a reputation, well, what happens if a, a city and a vendor are working closely together in order to, um, to achieve an outcome? Right? Maybe the outcome has, has nothing really to do with personal information of the community, but the personal information is necessary in order to get there. 
So, um, I don't know, say you, say you need to es establish some kind of uh, digital infrastructure in the city in order to roll out some of your, um, your, you know, your smarter data-driven initiatives. Now, can, can, can we use just, for example, CCTV as an example, which oh, is becoming more common? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, you know? yeah, let's use CCTV as an example. Yeah. That's a good one. Okay. So say, say I'm an Australian company and I'm a purveyor of CCTV cameras and a city contracts me to uh, supply and install cameras, um, you know, across, a, you know, a particular part of the city, right? We, I have a relationship with the city. The city has a relationship with me. We have a contract. We have a work order in place. Uh, I go in as the purveyor of the cameras and I get it done. Uh, and the city's happy because, look, they feel like they've got a camera network now. The community, though, doesn't understand the nature of that relationship. They've not necessarily been exposed to the type of technology that is included within the cameras or even where the cameras are manufactured or even who I am. So perhaps there's a level of fear or conjecture. And then the city has to start answering questions from the community about who's the supplier of the cameras? Where do the cameras come from? What can the cameras do? Are the cameras capturing my face? Do you have a face data bank? Are you using facial recognition on me? Are you breaching my privacy? Am I being surveilled? Is this becoming uh, a surveillance state? Do you see how the, the dialogue can just devolve into something really unproductive simply by failing to be transparent up front? Mm. Yeah, and a privacy impact assessment can really help to allay a lot of those concerns. If a privacy impact assessment, for example, explains who makes the cameras, uh, when are the cameras installed and who are they installed by, uh, where is the camera data stored and how is it secured, and is the city using facial recognition or not using facial recognition, or do they have any intention of ever using facial recognition? A privacy impact assessment can spell out all of those things and can even require a level of community consultation. And that changes the vibe and the feeling of projects like that in cities and takes them from being ones that can be quite scary for the community to something that at least the community understands, even if they don't like it. Nicole, these privacy impact assessments, I mean, what are we talking about here? Is it a three-month process, a thousand pages, you've got to hire an army of consultants? Is it a one-page checklist or is it something in between? I mean, give me a sense of what planning the privacy impact assessment actually is and what it looks like? Well, I think a privacy impact assessment always starts with asking the most important question, right? Which is, does this project or initiative or technology or whatever it is that we're doing involve the collection and handling of personal information? And if the answer is yes, then you need to initiate a process in order to determine whether you need to do a privacy impact assessment, right? Not everything a city does that involves personal information is going to need a privacy impact assessment. But some are, particularly where there are, um, you know, potential levels of anxiety in the community. So I always suggest to cities that they follow a, a threshold 
assessment process first, where you go in and you have a high level look at what it is you want to do and whether or not any of the that you want to do or the, the nature of the information or the sensitivity of the information might spell a risk, whether it's a risk to the city or the risk to someone in the community to whom the information relates. And based on a threshold assessment like that, the city can determine whether it's comfortable to have an internal privacy impact assessment process, which can be just as rigorous and just as transparent as going to an external privacy impact assessment process. Now, I would always recommend though, if it is a project or a technology or an initiative that is going to arouse concern or fear in the community, or potentially could raise issues around public policy or appropriate application of the privacy laws, I would always have an independent external consultant come in and do that. That in, in many ways can take the heat off a city because a city then is not judging its own wards. Does that make sense? Mm, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. W would you go as far as saying and look, you're seeing, as many of our listeners are, we're seeing a, uh, a lot more um, strategy and planning around smart cities, you know, mm -hmm. in a broader sense, you know, a city develops its strategy or its mm -hmm. plan, gives a nice, you know, broad overview about what its goals and mission are with respect to using technology and data to help it, you know, be, uh, you know, be sustainable and, and productive and things like that. Would you go as far as saying that, at that strategy level, that's where the privacy conversation needs to start. That's yes. where we need to start referencing the idea of privacy impact assessment. And because those, a lot of those documents are conversation pieces, right? You know, they're, yes. imp they're important scene setting documents, which is part of the commitment the city is making to its citizens that it's going to use tech and data to be good. So I wouldn't be unrealistic in saying that's where we probably need to start yeah. ref referencing these things. Oh, we should be placing it as strategy. But a privacy impact assessment is not a strategy level document. No, privacy impact no. assessment is a as part of a process, mm. right? The strategy needs to be that the city cares about privacy, that there is a plan, some kind of a privacy management framework or privacy management plan in place someone in the city who is responsible for looking at initiatives like this and saying, oh, look, I think maybe what we intend to do here triggers a privacy impact assessment mm. and doing some digging in and some investigating around that. And I think if cities don't understand that privacy is a strategic concern for them and a key strategic concern, they are not going to be able to get down to the processes like a privacy impact assessment because it's just simply not going to be on their radar. Now, I, and I have to say, I'm, 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 I saw something the other day. There was a, a survey that was uh, released by one of the, um, the big four companies uh, that, that operates in the, these uh, consulting companies that operates in the smart city space. And these guys are, they're really fantastic and they're doing really fantastic work. And the survey that came out had the most alarming results for me. And that was that privacy and the complementary discipline of uh, information security or cybersecurity ranked absolutely lowest, lowest on the totem pole in terms of what cities are considering 
when it comes to their, in particular, smart cities initiatives, lowest on the totem pole. And yet, cities have an obligation under law, except for those cities in South Australia and Western Australia, which um, is a concern to me on a whole nother level, but cities have an obligation under law to be on top of their privacy game. And within privacy laws sit some very strict information security requirements, which means cities are also obliged by law then to have their infosec and their cybersecurity in-house well underway. So, so to see this not really on the radar of our cities yet, I find um, alarming. I also think it's inconsistent with the goal of a smart city. If, if our goal is to use technology for good, for the betterment of the community, to use the data that's derived from that technology to achieve insight into how to um, have better environmental outcomes, more social equity, et cetera, et cetera. If we are doing work like that without foundations in place, like protection of personal information and cybersecurity, I, th I think our cities are, what they're doing is they're building their smart cities, um, you know, on a cloud, in the air, on vapor, and there's danger that they'll come crashing down. So, okay, so, so let's just unpack this for a moment. I, I, I don't disagree at all uh, with respect to the importance, the priority. It's certainly becoming, you know, more of an issue. Why... So this is, you know, I'm asking you for a personal opinion mm. now. Mm. Why do you think what is going on or what is not going on that that issue of personal privacy is not up at the top of the list or the top three or something like that? What is, what is wrong or what is right? You know, maybe they all feel comfortable and they don't see it as a barrier or an issue because the law's there to protect us and, you know, it's all taken care of or... They just literally have no idea about it and literally it is not on the radar. What is going on, do you think, in your opinion? Oh, look, there's a couple of layers. I think the first thing is that I'm in no way bagging out our cities when it comes to privacy because the first and most important job for our cities is to look after their communities. And cities look after their communities by implementing a variety of different projects, right? To make the, the city safer, cleaner, um, nicer to live in, more accessible, easier to get around, right? These are the priorities of our cities. And the way that they go about achieving those priorities often doesn't look at compliance with something as niche as privacy law. So when cities are looking at privacy law, they're typically looking at only a, a teeny tiny component of it, which relates to their obligations under access to information, right? So almost every city will have someone somewhere in it, a compliance officer that's dealing with freedom of information requests, whether they're, um, sort of your, your broad brush FOI requests or whether they are requests from someone for access to the personal information the city holds about them. And cities generally have really good processes in place for this. And 
what's really interesting to me is that this is a key part of privacy law, the, the requirement for, for cities to enable access to and correction of personal information, right? If a person asks for it, the city has to, to work to make that happen. But all of the others say eight, 10, 12 privacy principles that might apply to that city are being missed. Mm. And I, I don't really have an answer for why, except that I think that there are some public policy uplift approaches that maybe we could be taking now, perhaps from a regulatory perspective. We might want to see some of our privacy commissioners getting more involved with how cities are handling personal information, not just in that access context, but broadly in terms of application of the privacy principles and building privacy out as a strategic imperative for the cities. So I think there's that level of top-down regulatory work that could be done. But I also think internally, there needs to be a bit of cultural uplift in mm. our cities. Mm. And that you know everyone that works for a city, everyone that's in a city, they all have personal information. They all have privacy rights. And they all would want for their city to be doing the right thing with their personal information too. And often there's a disconnect, right? When I go to work and I have one hat on, I'm not actually seeing um, the bigger picture in terms of the hat that I wear as a member of the community. If there's anything we can do on this short conversation on the podcast, Nicole, is sort of help raise some, some awareness and, and shine some daylight. Um, just my final question, I suppose, is, is kind of, you know, where, where might folks go to kind of know more? I mean, I, I come from a, from a cities and urban planning um, sort of background, and we all know that in the industry, you know, if it's, if it's sort of integrated transport land use planning, it's, it's Newman and Kenworthy. If it's social impact assessment, it's Rabel and Burge. If it's broad city planning, it's Alexander's pattern language. Where does one go to kind of get their hands on the fundamentals when it comes to a privacy impact assessment? Is there that key resource or, or website or, or, or place that they can go to? You know, there are a fair few really good resources out there. The, I think the first point of contact for anyone who is looking for some general information about why privacy impact assessments are important, who they apply to, how far reaching they can be, and, and how successful they can be as a, as a tool or a process, I would go to the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner's website. They have something called an Introduction to Privacy Impact Assessments, as well as a guide for undertaking privacy impact assessments. That is a really good first port of call, I would say. Does, this, does, New, does New Zealand have one of those as well? New Zealand has an, an absolutely superb um, privacy regime. So I would suggest contacting the Office of the New Zealand Privacy Commissioner and following their resource links. Mm-hmm. They, okay. um, they're, yes, absolutely, uh, New Zealand, New Zealand has a very, very impressive approach to privacy. And, you know, the cities that I've engaged with and the officers that I've engaged with in New Zealand are across, I think, to a greater extent than here in Australia, why privacy is a material concern for our cities. Mm. Um, And I find that very encouraging. 
I would also, um, I would look to other levels or layers of educational resource. So for example, cities may wish to have a look at the International Association of Privacy Professionals resource pages where there are often really excellent resources around uh, privacy, privacy impact assessments, and you know, the material value of the topic. The Future of Privacy Forum has, and now they're a, a not-for-profit organization based in Washington, DC, but they're a worldwide organization. They have absolutely superb resources around smart cities and the privacy impacts that can come about as a result of being in a smart cities initiative and great infographics and some, some good pointers or pathways to other resources and information. And then you have people like me that are operating in this smart city space. There are privacy experts out there doing this kind of work and we're the kind of people you should be tapping into. Nicole, I imagine we could go for another hour or four, but we need to, uh, we need to draw it to a close there. Um, that's been fascinating. I've learned a lot. I, I, I know a few things, but I, I, I certainly learned a lot more. I hope our listeners have enjoyed this conversation as well. I'd like to thank you so much for joining us on the Smart City Chronicles today. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And for our listeners, that was Nicole Stevenson from Ground Up Consulting, one of the partner companies with the Smart Cities Council. Um, for those of our listeners who are not subscribing to the Chronicles, you can do so. We're on all those major podcast platforms. You can also uh, head to our website, which is uh, smartcitieschronicles.com. We also love feedback and suggestions. You can send us an email. The email is chronicles at anz. .smartcitiescouncil.com. My name is Adam Beck, your host of The Chronicles. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to bringing you another episode shortly. Have a great day.